It's time for the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Brimmer, your number one source for the latest Colts news, information, and discussion. It's time to kick things off. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. I'm your producer, Heather B., and I'm joined by your host, CNHI Sports Indiana Executive Editor and Colts beat writer, George Bremer. This week, we look ahead to Sunday's game against the Texans and answer your burning Colts questions. George, there's been a lot of hemming and hauling by the fans over the Colts draft position in the last few weeks, but that focus should probably turn to who they might be drafting since they're locked into that top three spot now. Yeah, the the loss in Baltimore pretty much uh, cemented the draft position. They, they can't go below number three uh, in the draft, and they can't they're either going to pick second or third that that's basically the end result now after the loss of Baltimore uh that's because the only tiebreaker that matters in the draft order is strength of schedule so even if they beat Houston on Sunday and tie with them with a 4 and 12 record and actually finish third in the division in that case because the tiebreaker in the division standings would be the head to head sweep at that point uh they still would pick ahead of the Texans because their schedule was weaker than the Texans' schedule this year. And so it's, it's kind of a quirk in, in how that works, uh, where they could actually finish ahead of Houston in the standings and still pick ahead of Houston in the draft, which probably won't bother the Texans much at all, considering the fact that their first-round pick is going to the Browns anyway. So I don't think they really care one way or another how that turns out. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's going to be very interesting. They can move up to number two overall, but... That would require Houston beating the Colts and, and ending this season on a seven-game losing streak, and then also the Giants beating the Redskins on Sunday. And, and you never know. I mean, week se- week seventeen is pretty much a coin flip every year in the NFL. It's hard to say which teams are really still playing hard and which teams are still uh, focused on on the task at hand, and, and which of them are already on vacation in Cancun or wherever those wonderful places that, that the players are headed to as soon as the season ends. Uh, one thing I will say about the Colts is there hasn't been much question about their effort recently. We we know they're going to come out and play hard. Uh, it hasn't translated to much in, in terms of results for them recently. Uh, but I, I do expect that you'll see them playing to win and, and not worrying about where they pick. Uh, all that being said, top three for sure, second or third for sure, uh, the most – likely thing is that they will pick number three overall and, and there's some guys out there uh, whose names have been thrown around I think you're going to hear a lot of Bradley Chubb's name in the, in the next few weeks uh, he's pass rusher out of North Carolina State some people think he's the best overall prospect in this draft and you're going to hear Saquon Barkley's name an awful lot as well outstanding running back from Penn State has already be, been compared to Ezekiel Elliott and to Leonard Fournette, who have come into the league the last couple of years, Todd Gurley as well, and, and just set the league afire. Uh, he's a guy who I think is going to be on the radar, and you're going to hear his name a lot too. So I think those two will pop up, and, and many, many more, and we'll have plenty of time before the draft in April, I'm sure, to, to dissect that. But it's kind of nice, I guess, at this point to have some clarity as to where the Colts are going to be selecting uh, once that once they end up on the clock. Well, a top three pick will definitely bring, hopefully, a key player to the Colts. But another way that can happen is through free agency. George, who on the current Colts roster is a free agent and may or may not be re-signed? And who are a few people they might be interested in picking up? 
Yeah, the, the their own roster has some really interesting places, and I think you start with the two veteran guys on this team, Adam Vinatieri. We've talked before on the on the podcast. I really don't know why he's not already been re-signed. He wants to be here. He's an Indianapolis guy. His family's here. This is home for him. Uh, you know, as far as he's concerned, and I, I think the Colts need to go ahead and and get that taken care of. Check that off make one box you don't have to to worry about uh, during what's going to be a really busy offseason. The, the other guy's Frank Gore, and his situation is going to be really, really intriguing. Frank today uh, at his locker, very open as usual with, with the media, and he said, of course, he wants to win a Super Bowl title. He wants to be competitive, but he doesn't want to be one of those guys who goes to a team that's loaded and basically rides the bench just to get a ring. He wants to contribute. He wants to have a role wherever he goes, and, and that's really all he's looking for. He is definitely going to play next year. He made that very clear. Uh, where is the question? He is interested in coming back to Indianapolis. One of the things he would like to know first, though, is whether or not Andrew Luck is healthy. Uh, and honestly, the quarterback is, is what he said will be the, the biggest thing he's looking for. When he chooses a new home, he wants to go somewhere where there's a competitive quarterback and the team can win. So that will be an interesting thing to see play out as well. The The other big guys who are coming up that, that really stand out, I think, are Jack Muhort and Dante Moncrief. And both of them are interesting because they've dealt with injuries this year. I think if you had two years ago mentioned those two, we would have been asking, you know, how can they save up enough money to – to re-sign both, well, money's not an issue at all. They're going to have the third most cap room in the league, as it projects right now, over $80 million. The big question is, you know, have these two shown enough uh, that they can be healthy, first of all, that they can be productive, and, and that they can be a part of moving this franchise forward as, as this hugely important offseason for the Colts comes up. And it's going to be interesting to see. If I was making the call, I think I would bring Muhort back on a on a minimum contract with a lot of incentives and let him compete for one of those guard spots uh, on the offensive line. And I honestly, and I, and I know a lot of people feel differently, I honestly at this point would let Dante Moncrief walk. I know that his size and his speed is, is very intriguing, and I know that if you let him go, you run the risk of him popping up somewhere else and, and having a breakout season, but... I just feel like he's a guy that maybe needs a change change of scenery at this point. I'm not sure it's ever going to quite work out for him in Indianapolis, and, and we'll see. We'll see how Chris Ballard feels about that as well. Uh, another name that I don't think we necessarily thought we would be talking about back in March when he signed his, his one-year deal is Barkevius Mingo. You know, he's played in in the role that he's been given he's played extremely well he, he stepped up when John Simon went out as a pass rusher and, and really has had an impact in that regard and at least one ranking has him as the number four pass rusher available in this year's free agent crop so you know I, I think he's another guy that if the money's right and that's the question you know if somebody else wants to break the bank with any of these guys it, it might change the outlook just because the Colts have a lot of money doesn't mean they're going to necessarily spend it all on one player. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle things. The Really the biggest name in free agency, though, as far as Indianapolis is concerned, is Rashawn Melvin. And there was news on him on Wednesday. He's been put on injured reserve with the hand injury. He's been out since November 26th when he got hurt against the Titans. But he's a guy 
who kind of follows the model that we've heard from Chris Ballard that, that he wants to reward. You know, he's a guy who really had a breakout season this year, has worked really hard, is a great example for his teammates, the kind of guy you can give a big contract to, and it's going to be received very well in the locker room. So, uh, But the, he's also a guy who recently hired Drew Rosenhaus as his agent, and I think he's going to test the market. He should, you know, absolutely. Strike while the iron's hot. Try to find that big deal wherever you can find it. I think the Colts are going to be competitive. I think they're going to put a deal on the table that that is competitive. Uh, but that one's going to be a really interesting situation to watch as well because it, it only takes one team to break the bank there. And you know that he's at a position where several teams will probably be interested. You can never have enough cornerbacks who can go out and cover big, rangy, athletic guys like Rashawn Melvin. So uh, he's he's going to be another really interesting person as we get into February and then into March when, when the market actually opens. Uh, of course, the Colts can re-sign their own guys at any point. So, you know, it really definitely be interesting to watch as they try to sort through all of this. As far as free agents outside the building go, uh, it's really tough at this point, obviously, because you just don't know who's going to get tagged and, and who's going to actually end up on the market. But two guys that I would keep my eye on because they're positions of need, and I think they're young, they're productive, they're all the things that we've seen Chris Ballard try to look for and reward. Uh, the first is Jarvis Landry uh, with the Dolphins. I think he's the number one wide receiver for a lot of people on the market this year. I think he would be a really nice compliment as a boundary guy, a possession guy to go alongside of T.Y. Hilton, help maybe take some of the focus off of Hilton and, and get him free a little more often. And Landry, I think, is, is the kind of physical receiver that this team's been looking for. And uh, if Miami lets him get out there into free agency, I think he'd be a really good place to start. As, the other guy that has caught my eye, and I'd be surprised if he's available, but if he is, if Carolina lets him walk, I think Andrew Norwell is a really, really good idea for the Colts. Uh, he's a guard. I know the offensive line has struggled in general, uh, but they've really struggled on the interior. And Norwell's a guy that he can open up the running lanes, but he's also been very, very good in pass protection, and I think he's only like 26 years old. So he's a guy that you can bring in, you can give him a decent-sized contract, keep him around for a number of years. Those are also obviously reasons that the Panthers might just want to keep him and, and, and keep him under their control. But uh, those are two names that very pre preliminarily have kind of crossed my eye and, and people that I, I think the Colts should take a look at. Again, we'll know more about that as we get into late February and early March as we get an idea of who's actually going to be on the market and not be have strings attached. Well, I think the final thing we wanted to check in on this week during this last uh, regular season podcast is where in the world is Andrew Luck? He's kind of like a game show now, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, where in the world is... Yeah, no, yeah, I won't sing. Well, certainly people of a certain age will, will understand what you're doing there. Uh, so have we heard anything about where he actually is, if he's back in the country, and, and how he might be doing? Yeah, he supposedly on his way back this week I think the Colts were expecting him in on Wednesday uh, he should be in the building on Thursday and, and needs to go and talk to the doctors and the trainers and coaches and you know all the people that he hasn't seen in the, in the past month or so uh, and then the hope is that he will be talking to the media sometime before the week is out 
Uh, that could happen as late as Monday after the season. Uh, we are kind of hoping that it's more Thursday or Friday. Even if it was Sunday on game day, I would be fine with that. Uh, but it'll be nice to get an update and hear from Andrew Luck himself as far as how he's doing. We've heard some pretty optimistic things coming from folks around him, uh, from the team. But obviously this whole situation has been awful, I guess, for lack of a better word. Uh, it's been unpredictable to every turn, and it just seems like every time there's there's kind of a, a cloud that, that shows up, the worst happens, the storm is worse than, than you could imagine, and you know everybody's kind of cautious and, and on pins and needles a bit. Uh, to, to see how it turns out in this, from here, you know, into the off season, but it'll be interesting to see what what he thinks and how he's feeling, how much he's willing to go in depth on what happened in Europe, the reasons he went to Europe, how that treatment worked. I doubt he's going to tell us what he did. I mean, you got HIPAA laws and a lot of things involved here. I don't think he's going to go into great detail about procedures or anything like that, but he may give us a, a pretty decent update on how that shoulder feels and where his mindset is right now as he gets ready. Because honestly, we can talk about coaching changes, free agents, draft picks, schedule, anything you want to talk about uh, till we're blue in the face. The only question that really matters and the one that has to be answered before any of the rest really even come into play is what's the status of number 12. And, and once that's determined, uh, then there'll be a, a pretty clear path for the, for the franchise moving forward. And I can tell you that no one wants to move forward more than Andrew Luck. <laughs> You're he, absolutely right I, about that. He's just got to be going crazy. Uh, speaking of moving on, uh, we're going to move on to your Colts questions. Pony Express is up next. Delivering answers to all of your burning questions about the Colts and the NFL. It's the Pony Express. Welcome to the Mailbag segment of our show where George answers your burning Colts question. Let's get to our first question this week from Eddie Young, 2015. Should the Colts go for an old coach with young coordinators or a new coach with old coordinators? And he clarifies that by old, he means experienced. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think it's going to be one of the big things to keep an eye on. It's kind of the debate throughout the league now. And Sean McVay has helped kind of bring this in. You saw the Rams have terrific success with a 31-year-old head coach, which is even hard to imagine. I mean, there's a lot of guys on his roster who are older than him. Uh, it's really an interesting job that he's done. But part of the reason that that worked as well as it did is he was able to go out and bring in Wade Phillips as his defensive coordinator. And Wade Phillips is a former head coach, has all the experience in the world, and it's made a very nice team out there. So I think a lot of teams are going to want to go and follow that model this year. Find the young, energetic, up-and-coming head coach pair him with an experienced veteran grizzled coordinator or two and let that that team go to work for you but I think the other way works just as well you know I think there's a lot of guys out there and I think the name that you're going to hear on this program that you're going to hear uh, probably everything that that you see on Twitter on TV wherever it is that you're getting Colts news over and over and over again you're going to hear Dave Tobe's name He's going to be part of this process, and he's definitely an experienced guy. A lot of people I've seen compare him to, to Bruce Arians, a football lifer uh, who's finally getting that chance. A lot of people think he's going to be a head coach this year somewhere, whether it's here in Indianapolis, whether it's in Chicago, whether Cleveland, where John Dorsey, another former Chiefs front office uh, guy, has, has taken over the program. 
Dave Tobe would be the the old experienced guy. If that happens, he would probably be, bring in younger, uh, newer coordinators. In fact, I've, I've heard from several people that if he gets a head coaching job, wherever that happens, he'd like to bring the Chiefs quarterbacks coach along with him to be the offensive coordinator. So I think defensively you'd find something similar to that. Uh, but that's I think both ways work. I, I don't think that this is an either or. I think you just find the right candidate. You find the right fit for your team. And whether that's a new guy or an experienced guy, I don't think it I don't think it matters. It's really a matter of how he's going to work in that locker room and how he's going to work with Chris Ballard to kind of help bring that vision that the general manager has for this roster into fruition. Another coaching question from Atniswanger37. He says, hey, George, how who would you like to see coach the Colts? Yeah, you know, that's a tough question. It, it almost doesn't matter who I want to see coach the Colts, honestly. Uh, well, I let know. me put it this way. Let me let me change the, the question just a little. I think it's still in the spirit of the question. Um, what kind of coach would you like to see as the coach of the Colts? Yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see what they do what they're thinking and I, and I can't wait really until we can get Chris Ballard, you know, in, in one of these media sessions again and find out what he's looking for. But I know for me, I would like to see them go with an offensive oriented guy. I feel like if Andrew Luck is back and healthy, I, I don't think at any point during his career here with the Colts, has he been unleashed, so to speak? I, I feel like there's always been a little bit of, of a chain on him. Chuck Pagano is a very conservative coach. He wants to get a lead and hold on to it. He doesn't want to attack uh, keep adding to that that point total, and I think it would be interesting to see what Luck would do uh, with an offensive-minded head coach who's thinking, you know, put more points on the board. Somebody like Bruce Arians, uh, who who has gone out there and no risk it, no biscuit. We all know his philosophy. Uh, you know, he wants to go and and not run out the clock, but score another touchdown to end the game. And and I think you know, not not necessarily Arians in particular, but I think an, an offensive-minded aggressive guy like that would be interesting uh if i was if i was making the pick interesting that you should mention bruce arians because he's the subject of two questions uh one from at mason mcquage and one from at real name chris they both want to know if bruce arians is actually out in arizona do you think he'd be on the radar for the colts uh and mason particular said and at least maybe get an interview for the oc spot yeah I doubt it. I, I mean, I think he would be, obviously, the fans would, would welcome him with open arms, and he's had really good experiences every time he's come through Indianapolis during his career. So I think that he would be open to the idea of of rejoining the Colts if, if it was a perfect situation and, and there weren't so many other factors going on. But I feel like if he leaves Arizona, it's going to be at least partially his decision and that changes a lot of things. He's had some health scares recently. Uh, I just wonder how much longer he's got left to coach it, period. You know, anywhere, uh, whether he's a head coach or a coordinator. If he was completely healthy and he wanted to coach again, I think the Colts would have to at least inquire about his availability. Uh, but I just, I, I don't think you're going to see Bruce Arians coaching anywhere other than Arizona next year. That's just a gut feeling. So we'll see how that plays out during the offseason. Uh, but I really think that if he ends up parting ways with the Cardinals, that'll be more of a mutual decision and it'll have a lot to do with off-field factors as well. Not sure if this is more of a coaching question or a front office question, but uh, at RW1888, 
asks, any Manning news? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath on any Peyton Manning news coming uh, with this franchise. I just, I've talked about it before, and I know a lot of people want to see him come in and, and have some kind of president title or whatever. I don't know how that works. I, I do not see that being a functioning kind of system with this team. Uh, Chris Ballard is in charge. It's his show right now. And I I can't imagine Ballard being really welcoming of the idea of, of bringing Manning in and installing him above him. And I also can't imagine Peyton Manning being okay with the idea of coming in as a, as a figurehead where he wouldn't have any decision-making. So it's really tough for me to see any situation where Peyton Manning joins the front office during the offseason and it, and it works. Uh, but that being said, we've seen stranger things than that in the NFL, so you never say never. Uh, but I haven't heard anything recently involving Peyton Manning, and I wouldn't expect to. All right, we got a couple player-oriented questions next. The next one's from at Broken H and a whole bunch of numbers that I'm not going to read. Uh, he says, Kaya, Morris, Tolzien, Luck, and Brissett as the QBs moving forward? Question mark. Yeah, well, first of all, Stephen Morris is not a part of the, the franchise anymore, and I don't think that he will be moving forward. You know, they, they cut ties with him at the end of the preseason, and I don't expect to see him back in the mix. I also don't expect to see Scott Tolzien in the mix at, at this point. Um, there's not a whole lot of reason. He's in the final year of his contract. There's not a whole lot of reason for him to be brought back. Uh, Luck, if he's healthy, it's his job. I don't think anybody questions that. Jacoby Brissett, in my mind, is on this roster next year, too, no matter what. I, I don't think I know a lot of people want to say, if Luck's healthy, do you trade Jacoby Brissett? I don't think you do a darn thing with him in 2018. He's through. He's under contract through the 2019 season. He's got the same kind of size as Andrew Luck. He can has a similar style to Andrew Luck. Obviously, there's a big difference between the two of them in experience in terms of productivity, but I think he's a guy who makes a very nice compliment as a backup to Andrew Luck, and I, I think you take advantage of that. He's only uh, on his rookie deal still. There, there's no salary cap reason to move him, and I think you let him develop for another year. You let him show off his stuff in the preseason, and if something happens again with Andrew Luck, he's there uh, to bail you out. And then you start maybe looking about possible trades in 2018. As for Brad Kaya, I should mention he was added uh, on Wednesday. I think I did mention that earlier. He he was added to the roster when Rashawn Melvin was, was placed on injured reserve on Wednesday. He's a guy when he was at Miami that some people thought might be the number one pick in last year's draft going into last college football season. Things didn't play out the way that everybody thought they would. He ended up being a late-round pick by Detroit. He's been cut twice by the Lions. Also spent some time with the Panthers Panthers this year, but there's some raw talent there. And I think he's being brought in to be signed to a future contract in, in January and to compete. You know, he'll be part of that quarterback mix. I also expect them to bring in a rookie at some point. Uh, Philip Walker's still on the practice squad, and he's going to be a part of that mix as well. But I think there's going to be a big competition for either the backup job if Luck is healthy or for the starting job if he's not. And I think they're going to bring in some some more bodies uh, to take a look, and I, I definitely think Brissett, Luck, and, and Kaya are going to be part of that picture. All right, the next question you've already kind of touched on, but I'll go ahead with this. It's at John Cifaletti. I'm sure I butchered your name. I apologize. Uh, Frank Gore has played well. He still seems to have an incredible energy and passion. Could you envision the Colts bringing him back next season? And this is what you might address here is in a limited secondary role. His love of the game and leadership has value. 
Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting, you know, when I was talking earlier about what Frank Gore wants in his next stop, he, he did mention that he doesn't have to be a starter. You know, he doesn't want to be completely out of the picture, obviously, altogether, but he, he doesn't need to have starter carries to be happy. So I think he would accept a limited role. Again, I think so much of that depends, uh, and maybe all of that depends on the health of Andrew Luck on Frank Gore's end. I think if there's not a healthy Andrew Luck, he's going to look for somewhere with a better quarterback situation uh, that, that he can kind of head for. Uh, the other part of it is is Chris Ballard's thinking. You know, I, I think there's a lot of value to Frank Gore in the locker room. I think there's a lot of value to Frank Gore as a veteran leader on this team. And I think he's a guy who really enjoys passing on what he's learned in this game. And, and it would be great for him to be able to continue to do that with whatever young quarterback or running backs uh, might come in next season. Uh, but you also have Robert Turbin on the roster. Uh, he's going to be healthy coming back. You've got Marlon Mack on the roster. And if you draft a rookie as well, uh, there may not be room for, for Frank Gore. So it's, I can envision it. Absolutely. Uh, but I wouldn't put it as a high probability for next season. And our final question of 2017 comes from who else but at Day Blue Man. He wants to know, what are you and Heather B's favorite Colt-related moments of the 2017 season? Well, I can't speak for you, but for me, it was definitely the Peyton Manning statue ceremony that happened. Uh, and specifically, what happened immediately afterwards. After Peyton Manning threw the footballs into the crowd and after he went and made his his tour of the VIPs that were there, the guests that, that he had invited and the kind of security folks were, were sort of trying to take him back inside the building to go to the after party and, and to do those sort of things. And he said, no, I've got to go see my people. And he went out on his own. He was being chased by the guards uh, down the steps to do it, to go and sign for, I don't know how many people, uh, but he was there for about 30, 40 minutes, just signing autographs for all the people who had come out, uh, to watch that ceremony. And then the next day before the game against the 49ers, he showed up unannounced at the statue again. Uh, nobody had that planned. It was not something the team knew was going to happen. He just went back out to the statue. There's a bunch of fans out there, obviously wanting to see it because it was brand new. Peyton Manning went back out there, posing for pictures, signing autographs. Uh, it was just a really great moment uh, between the fans and the franchise. And, and probably about the only time this year when the fans were happy with the franchise and, and what was going on. So that's probably the thing I'll remember longest from this season. I've got three. Uh, and the first one is Colt related, but not necessarily about a Colt. Uh, I had the opportunity during training camp to interview Miles Killebrew from the Lions, who is a native of Anderson. Uh, so it was really nice to talk to him. He's such a nice, pleasant young man. His parents definitely raised him right. Um, and you know, we had a good long conversation. We were able to publish that story in our paper, uh, and it got great reaction from the people here at home who still know his grandma who eats at Fresh's every weekend. And, uh, you know, he, he told me how he has to go to pizza King every time he's back in the area, uh, because that's what he missed when he moved, uh, out to the West coast where they don't have pizza King. Um, the second one I would say is also the Peyton Manning, uh, statue dedication, but it was kind of a different moment. It was the same moment, but it was a different angle for me was when Peyton started walking down the stairs, his kids latched onto his coat and they just followed him around and just, you know, hung on to him as he, he went around to the fans. 
Uh, and just to see that was just, it was the cutest moment ever. It really was, especially his daughter. I mean, she's just adorable. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and then I think the best moment for me um, was something that I'd been waiting for all season long. And then it finally happened when I was on the sidelines during a game. Um, you know, I love the Nashville trip. It's one of my favorite places we go. Nashville's such a great city. The stadium, I love it because the sidelines are huge. And so I'm not getting ran over by cheerleaders. I'm not getting ran over by cameras on wheelies and things, you know, so it's just an easy place to shoot a game. And during that game this year was John Simon getting a pick six, running it back. Uh, and it happened right in front of me. I caught it on films. I had a great picture for the paper and for the, our website. Um, and so that, that was just an awesome moment to happen right then. Oh yeah. You know, and there's, there's a bunch of things that have happened, uh, in the locker room and in around the team this year that I think are, are interesting. I, I know that, uh, in Seattle, I remember talking to Jack Muhort, you know, saying, Hey, how'd you guys react when, when Deshaun Bond got hurt on the second play of the game and Adam Redman had to come in and you down to your third center and, and I remember Muhort's reaction and he's just kind of looking like, you know, I don't know. I don't know how we did that. And he said, it's just a testament to, to all the cross training that, that the guys do. But uh, it was kind of one of those moments where you saw that even the players were kind of amazed by some of the insane things that have happened this year. Uh, and then also it's Colt related. And, and I think we just want to send the shout out out there to him. Uh, Zach Kiefer and his wife had a, a brand new baby girl on Christmas Eve. So congratulations to them, and that's definitely one of the greatest things that's happened around the Colts this year, at least as far as the media is concerned. Definitely. All right, that's it for our Mailbag Pony Express. George, why don't you tell the listeners how they can get their questions to you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can send them to me on Twitter, at GM Brimmer. You can check out my professional page, which is George M. Brimmer on Facebook. And I imagine there's going to be quite a few questions as we get into this busy and hectic offseason here next week. All right, when we come back, we'll award this week's Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, ranking this week's Colts News. It's time for Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, where George chooses a few things that will work for the Colts and a few things that might be working against them as they face the Texans this weekend. There's actually some horseshoes this week. And the first one is the previous win over Houston. There's got to be some confidence here. The team not only was able to go on the road and win a game, which is the only time that's happened all season, but they also made a goal line staying at the end of that one to hold on to the 20-14 to 14 victory. And it kind of changed the script that we've seen play out so many other times this year where they get a big lead and they can't hold on and they lose in the final minutes. Uh, so there's got to be a level of confidence with this team as Houston comes to town now. They've done it before. And, and so you have, you know, for the only time this year, you have some positive memories to to lean back on as you prepare for this game on Sunday. And another horseshoe is the struggling Texans offense. Yeah, I mean, who's going to be their quarterback, right? I mean, there's been so much craziness Me. going on. T I sign up. You, you're going to play? Uh, TJ Pay me a million Yates. dollars and I'll play. TJ Yates, who also has Anderson ties. His grandpa, Gene, a four-time state champion for Anderson High School, is in the Indiana uh, Track and Field Hall of Fame. He'll probably be the starter, but he was injured and, and came out for a while during their Christmas Day game against the Steelers. They had to bring in Tom Heineke, uh, who was making his NFL debut. Uh, there's there's a lot of problems under center for that team right now, and it's caused that offense to struggle quite a bit. So, you know, the defense, 
The Colts' defense is very, very beat up. They've had their moments, uh, especially in recent weeks, where where they've had their own struggles. But they may be looking at a team across the field that that feeling about the same way they are. And then we've got to go back to reality and talk about the hand grenades. And that first one is Jadavian Clowney. Yeah, you know, whenever I hear Jadavian Clowney's name, I think, first of all, against that hit that he made in college against Michigan and popped the guy's helmet off. And, and I think everybody remembers that clip. And uh, it was played over and over and over again when he was the number one overall pick that season. And uh, But when I think about him as a pro, I think about the strip sack that he had on Andrew Luck down in the red zone last December when the when the Texans came here to Lucas Oil Stadium. And that play really helped the Texans win the AFC South and, and make the playoff appearance, keep the Colts out again last year. Uh, he's a guy who has proven again and again that he can wreck games and he will do that unmercilessly against the Colts. Uh, he might be the only healthy guy left on the Texans defense. I think him and Brian Cushing are about the, the last starter standing, or at least it feels that way. Uh, but sometimes he's all you need. So the Colts are definitely going to have to be aware of where Jadavian Clowney is and try to keep Jacoby Brissett upright on Sunday. And another hand grenade would be DeAndre Hopkins, who had one of the most amazing catches I've ever seen in football. Yeah, that, that touchdown last week was something else, wasn't well, it? Well, like the first three times they showed it, I was like, there's no way that's a touchdown. Why are they keep calling that a touchdown? How did the ref on the field call that a touchdown? And then they finally showed that angle from the backside where you can see both toes hit. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's a touchdown. Now, now we all know that it would have been overturned on replay review had it happened against new England, oh, but that that's well, a certainly. whole other, that's a whole other issue. We, we don't need to get into that, but absolutely Deandre Hopkins. He's had huge games against the Colts. He had a huge game in the loss uh, in Houston. In fact, the Texans comeback was made primarily on his back as he just made big play after big play to get that team down the field, get the touchdown to pull it within six. He had a touchdown late in the game called back, uh, that looked like the Texans had scored to, to take the lead. So, yeah, he's going to be a problem. Uh, the young corners are going to have to find a way to check him, and, and not many people in the league have been able to do that. So something the Colts are going to have to be aware of for sure, Nuke on Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. And the last one will be a horse grenade, meaning we don't know which way it will fall, whether it will be good for the Colts or bad for the Colts. And that's the fact that it's week 17. Yeah, you never know, right? I mean, especially in these games, neither team has any playoff chance. Uh, there's very little on the line. If the Colts lose, they could potentially get the number two pick, as we talked about earlier. But it's not a guarantee. It's not a situation there. About the only thing I know for sure that happens is if the Colts win, I'm going back to Oakland next year. And if the Colts lose... I'm going to back to Denver next year, and I know where I definitely would rather go in that in that case. So uh, that's the only thing that really is on the line that I know of in this game. Uh, is you never know how the player is going to react in these circumstances. Which team is going to want it more? Are the Texans more interested in not being swept by the Colts this season and in not finishing last in in, in the division, or are the Colts more interested in ending this six games? losing streak and likely sending Chuck Pagano out uh, of Indianapolis with a win. So which of these teams, both head coaches may be gone. There's so much at play and you just never know. It's such a coin flip in week 17. It's almost like the preseason all over again. No idea who really wants this more, but we'll find out on Sunday. Well, George, we talked about this game earlier in the week and you said you were picking the Colts for a win. Are you still leaning that way? 
I am. I I haven't I haven't done this very often, and I'm not sure I've done it at all this year. I may have picked them to beat Cleveland. I think I did pick them to beat Cleveland, but I'm I'm going with the Colts on Sunday. I I really feel like this team, and I'll tell you why. This is why I'm picking the Colts on Sunday. That blocked punt at the end of the game against Baltimore. That's when we talk about the Colts keep fighting. It's a cliche thing. I know that it's kind of a, a sappy, you know, Disney sports movie thing. At least they don't quit. But with this team, it it's been very true. The competitive nature of this team after heartbreaking loss after heartbreaking loss every week, they go out there, they're fighting. That was a perfect example in Baltimore. They're down by 10 twice. Both times they get back into it, make it a one score game. And there they are with one chance in the fourth quarter and they block a punt because they're still playing that hard at the end of a game in the rain that doesn't matter in Baltimore. And I just think you're going to see that again. And this is a team in Houston that's just as beat up as the Colts are. So the talent level isn't so overwhelming as it has been in a lot of these other games. Now, I'm saying this, and, and I'm sure they're going to find a way to, to do something horrific on Sunday and, and, and give the game away, but I just I think this team has been working to keep a competitive balance at times when a lot of other 3-12 and teams would not, and I think it's finally going to pay off for them for whatever tiny little reward that's worth. I understand a Week 17 win against the Texans won't mean a whole lot to the fans, uh, but I think it will mean a whole lot to that locker room, especially with a lot of young guys out there that are fighting for jobs and fighting for a place in this league. So I think in the end, the Colts will win it, but it's going to be close. Well, that's it for this last regular season edition of Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Thanks to you all for joining us throughout the regular season. I hope you stay tuned in the off season because I think it's going to be rather interesting. And that starts next week when we'll recap the game against the Texans. And assuming things go as everyone envisions, we'll talk about who might be the next head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Look for that episode online at your local CNHI Sports Indiana website or on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. As always, you can get the latest Colts news, in-game updates, and analysis by following George on Twitter at GM Brummer. And until next time, remember the immortal words of Ted Theodore Logan and Phyllis Preston Esquire, and be excellent to each other. You've been listening to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. For more Colts news and information, follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. And join us next time for more of the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast.